0: Do you like the show and want to help support us? Want us to stay ad-free? Do you want extra episodes every month? Then head over to patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro and become a Patreon supporter of this show. Programs and welcome to episode 115 of the Nerd Cave Retro Show, the first episode of 2019. Happy New Year! Hopefully, you all had a fantastic holiday break and got to recharge the batteries a bit as we get back into the swing of uh, what I call the post-holiday hangover, getting back into work and the normal routines that we all kind of push aside during the holidays. My name is Derek Diamond, and as you can tell by me doing the intro, Jason is not on the show this week. He unfortunately was not available. uh, So I'm going to be flying solo this week, uh, which means unfortunately we're going to have to push our Metroid month back a week. Jason should be back on the show next week and he'll be reviewing the original Metroid for the NES to kick off Metroid month. As far as news goes, it's been pretty light. This is usually the time of year where not a lot of major news stories break. I feel like even, you know, websites that we normally look at for news. Not necessarily take the holiday off, but news is definitely a little more lax. So I've got a couple of good stories to talk about. Of course, we have this month in video game history and my review, which is a collection of games that I've been playing uh, since Christmas. I got this game collection for Christmas, but I'll be getting to that in just a second. As far as other things that have been going on with me, I've been Really busy with planning the relaunch of my solo show, the Derek Diamond Experience. I actually built sound panels uh, to put in my recording room. So hopefully the audio from this does sound a little bit better than usual. I know it's definitely helped with the echo and the reverb that's been uh, pretty bad in this room ever since I bought this house. And it was a very long day uh, building six panels for myself and six for... Uh, I want to give a shout out to Travis Patterson, who helped me. Uh, he's one of the audio gurus we have uh, in the Pensacola area, and he helped me, you know, construct the panels, and we spent a full day, you know, in his workshop building these things. And he even came over to help hang them up after we had finished building. So we were working on these things until after one o'clock in the morning. So we spent almost a full twenty four hours doing this. and, Hopefully it makes a difference in the long run. I'm probably going to hang up a couple of more and then maybe put some foam on the uh, the ceiling of the room and it'll help out with the, the shows even more, this show and my solo show. Because uh, I do want to do more video work when it comes to the Derek Diamond experience and hopefully, you know, I, I'll do whatever it takes really to make these shows sound as good as I can. So that's really what I've been up to over the last couple of weeks Uh, Other than that, just trying to relax as much as possible. I'm recording this on New Year's Day. I'm going back to work tomorrow after being off for two weeks. So that's going to take a little bit of getting used to again. But yeah, so goes uh, the way of life. But as I said, we've got a couple of cool news stories to talk about, so let's get right into it. (laughs) Both our stories come to us from nintendolife.com. Our first one, unreleased NES SimCity gets preserved and publicly released. This unreleased Nintendo-developed version was one of the NES Holy Grails of prototypes, but not many people got their hands on the content of these two cartridges, until Frank Cafaldi quietly uploaded the complete findings within the ROM files to the Video Game History Foundation during Christmas afternoon. Even among the more optimistic of retro enthusiasts, no one would imagine the prototype to be in such excellent shape. The game is almost completely bug-free, graphics and sound are fully implemented, and despite a few unfinished functionalities, is fully playable on real hardware and most accuracy-intensive emulators. And there's this really cool video that's attached to the article with some gameplay of the NES version of SimCity, which, you know, for the longest time I thought there was an NES version, but... You know, I never really knew about SimCity until I played it for the SNES. And I I think I told this story when I reviewed this game a few weeks ago. It was just one of those random games that I found, uh, you know, it was either at my uncle's house or somewhere, and I just popped it in and realized, oh, I can build my own city. That's pretty cool. And would spend hours playing it. And even when I was playing it leading up to the review, it kind of sucks you in because... You know, you're building a civilization from scratch. And the video was was really cool because there's not a lot of difference between the NES and the SNES versions. Some little detail things that I noticed, the menu selection where you're selecting, you know, do you want to lay down uh, railroad tracks, lay, you know, commercial zones or industrial zones. The menu looks less detailed, but as far as the map itself goes, there's not a ton of difference and I think for an NES game it looks really good and to find a version of this that is pretty much fully playable I think is awesome and that's something I've documented on the show in the past is that Jason and I doing this show grants us you know the the reason of finding out information like this because One, I would have never known that there was an NES version or one that was pretty much fully playable. So I definitely recommend if you're a SimCity fan, definitely go check out the article. It's on NintendoLife.com. It's got about a 20-minute video of gameplay of it. And it looks awesome. So this was really, really cool for them to do that. And our last news story, as I said, also comes to us from NintendoLife.com. Kind of a random news story, but I still thought it was a pretty cool FYI thing. John Cena is an NES aficionado. American actor, professional wrestler, rapper, and all-around good guy John Cena recently spoke about his love of the original NES during an IGN video promoting the new Transformers film, Bumblebee. The cast of the movie was quizzed about 80s toys, and the most knowledgeable of the bunch was John. After being shown multiple items, including Care Bears, He became overjoyed when Rob was pulled out alongside the NES Zapper. Apparently, he spent a lot of time playing Duck Hunt back in the day. He said, I am certainly a child of the original NES system. That 8-bit graphical interface has truly stood the test of time, and now you see so many vintage designs and content available in 8-bit. And then he also threw out uh, his thoughts on the Nintendo Switch. He said, I'm floored by the technology of the Switch, and the versatility of the console is second to none. It really is a home console that you can take anywhere. So I've probably followed John Cena's career a a little more closely than a lot of the listeners on this show. Because, you know, I've been a wrestling fan since I was 12 and still keep up with it to a point as far as the current era goes. And John Cena has been the face of WWE up until he stopped performing uh, full time uh, a year or two ago to focus more on acting. So I thought this was really cool for him to, you know, talk about his love of 80s toys. There's a funny clip of him in the video of him wearing the power glove, uh, most notably featured in the movie The Wizard that Jason and I both love. And John Cena to me seems all around like a pretty cool guy, you know, that I would love to, you know, have a conversation with. I know he's done a lot of great things with Make-A-Wish and it's cool to see him, you know, in a, in a different light than how he's been portrayed on WWE television. So, you know, I got a kick out of it. You know, if you're a John Cena fan, definitely go check out the video. Uh, it's pretty fun stuff. So, uh, again, I thought that was a, a pretty cool thing that he did. But that does it for news. So let's move on to this month in video game history. On January 5th, 1988, shareware game The Adventures of Captain Comic is one of the first NES style scrolling platformers for the PC, setting the stage for a subsequent shareware platformer boom. I've never heard of Captain Comic, though, it looks like a game that I would have played in elementary school. You know, I've mentioned several weeks ago that I remember playing games like Number Munchers and Word Rescue. We would do it. Mostly for recreation, but there was an educational aspect to it. The gameplay graphic on Wikipedia looks almost exactly like Word Rescue, a game that you know I would have played And God, when did I play that game? Anywhere between, I think, first and third grade. Because I, I remember we had basically a wall that had a table pushed up against it, and there were computers on lined up all along these tables. There had to have been, I'd say, eight to ten computers on these tables, and you know, we would do our work and after it was done, whoever was done first would be able to go play computer games. And let's see a little bit about this game. Captain Comic is on a mission to the planet Tombi where the quest begins. Comic must find three artifacts and to find them he must travel through many varied environments. The game ends when he is in possession of the three treasures. So, it sounds pretty much like a basic platformer. Never played it. I'll have to look up some gameplay of it if I can find it on YouTube. But this definitely would have been a game, had it been on one of those computers, it would have been right up my alley. In January of 1994, Mega Man X is released in the U.S. It's almost become kind of a running gag that there's a mega man title in every week of we do this month in video game history and this week is no exception mega man x is really the only mega man game that i personally have played extensively it's a very difficult game but not in the not to the extent that i would never want to play it again like yeah i would get angry at it but it would challenge me and drive me to keep trying and i think i've only beat one, maybe two bosses. I played it a little bit since I did the review. And I know at that point, I think I'd only beaten one of the bosses. So I know Jason's a huge Mega Man fan. He's been playing Mega Man 11. I'm sure he'll either do a review or at least give, you know, extended thoughts on the game uh, sometime soon. Uh, but yeah, Mega Man, one of the most iconic franchises, especially when it comes to old school gaming. On January 31st, 1997, Square releases Final Fantasy VII for the original PlayStation. And speaking of running gags, I know that Jason and I have knocked Final Fantasy quite a bit ever since the first time we talked about it. And in some ways, I think justifiably because the number system is extremely confusing and pointless. But I will give it credit on this. Final Fantasy VII, even though I've personally never played it, I know is one of the most iconic video games of the late 90s. This game was a huge deal when it came out, and it took that franchise to a whole new level, and I, I don't really know much about the story. I know of the character Cloud because he's been featured in other games I've played like Smash Brothers and Kingdom Hearts, but that's really about it, and I know that when people talk about Final Fantasy VII, this is one of, if not the first games that they bring up, because I know Seven was a huge deal when it came out. Final Fantasy X was a huge deal when it came out as well. And I know that they've been working on a remake for this game to put on the PS4, and I want to say they've been working on it for quite a while. Let me actually pull this up real quick. Let's see. Final Fantasy VII Remake is an upcoming action role-playing game developed and published by Square Enix, for the PS4. It is a remake of the 1997 PlayStation game. Final Fantasy 7. Uh, it does retell the original story. Wow this was announced. All the way back in 2015. And this game still hasn't. Came out yet. That is crazy. Well, I know Square has been working on. Getting Kingdom Hearts 3 done. So maybe they'll go back to it. Let's see. Uh, Following E3 2018, it was stated that the game was in active development with full attention being shifted to it when Kingdom Hearts 3 was completed. So, yeah, Wikipedia just answered my own question. I might give the remake a shot. You know, I I would love to see what the hype behind this game is about. If I were to play a Final Fantasy game, it would be either this or Final Fantasy 3 I think that's on the SNES classic cuz I, I have said that I will review a Final Fantasy game at some point to talk about on the show cuz I feel like we have to because we've been, you know, giving the franchise such a hard time. I feel like we've got to at least give it its its day in the sun. And finally, and God this makes me feel really old when I'm when I'm about to read this, on January 21st, 1999, 20 years ago, Super Smash Brothers is released for the N64. Holy crap. It is crazy to think that, you know, in a year, we're going to say that the decade of the 90s was 30 years ago. That's insane. But I love this game. It's one of my favorite games for the N64. I remember one of my most vivid memories as a kid. I was over at my grandparents' house watching TV, and this commercial comes on with. I believe it was Mario, Pikachu, Yoshi, and Donkey Kong frolicking through a field and one of them trips another and they just start beating the crap out of each other and they spliced in footage of the game. And I was just blown away because, you know, being a kid of the 90s and loving all the Nintendo properties so much, we all had to think it at some point in time, what if Mario crossed over with with Zelda or what if Star Fox crossed over with Metroid and we got that with Super Smash Brothers and the concept is so simple but it's made Nintendo one of its most popular and now iconic franchises in its entire history you know every time a Smash Brothers game is announced people go nuts over it Smash Brothers Ultimate has been doing extremely well and it's a fantastic game and I want to talk about it more when Jason comes back on the show. And I've, I briefly talked about it, I think, the week after it came out because I spent basically a full day doing nothing but playing Smash Brothers. But that should tell you how great these games are. That it can take someone who really doesn't play newer games all that much to being borderline obsessed with unlocking everything Unlocking all the characters, arenas, everything—it's just great. And you know the the game still I think holds up okay. It's the controls are a little a little rough, but that's kind of what you can expect from the N64. You know the, it's the game that started it all, and really the sequels are better games. But you got to give it credit for starting this great franchise. I, I love Smash Brothers. It's probably top five in a 64 game for me, if I had to say. But that does it for this month in video game history. So let's move on to our review. So, this week I'm going to be reviewing not one, not two, but three games. This week I'm going to be talking about the Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy. Uh, it is a platform video game compilation developed by Vicarious Visions and published by Activision. It's a collection of remasters of the first three titles in the Crash Bandicoot series Crash Bandicoot, Crash Bandicoot 2 Cortex Strikes Back, and Crash Bandicoot 3 Warped all which were originally developed by Naughty Dog for the PlayStation and released from 1996 to 1998. Uh, this, com- this compilation was originally released, uh, I guess now two years ago, uh, for the PlayStation 4. And it did pretty well. And I remember when this was first announced, because I, I really liked the Crash games growing up. I remember Crash Bandicoot 2 was the first game in the franchise that I played and it's still my favorite to this day. But I can't really remember when was the first time that I played it because and I was even thinking about this all day, you know, trying to remember how was I introduced to Crash and I honestly can't remember. I know that we had gotten an original PlayStation and I I would play the NASCAR Thunder 98 game with my dad. We would just race for, you know, hours sometimes. And it was really the only game that we played for the PlayStation. I don't remember if it was being introduced to it through my uncle or I just saw a copy of Crash Bandicoot 2 in Walmart and begged my parents to get it for me. But the Crash games, I feel like Crash doesn't really get a fair look because he's not as iconic. Like People know who Crash Bandicoot is, but he's not on the same level as Mario and Sonic. And the games, going back and playing them, they're really not that innovative. I mean, they're fun platformers, but they're about what you would expect. You have to get from point A to point B, dodge obstacles, collect items, defeat enemies... In this case, you know, it's instead of collecting mushrooms and fire flowers and coins, you collect Wumpa fruit, uh, witch doctor masks, and crystals and gems. So the formula is is pretty standard as far as platformers go, but they still have their fun aspects. I mean, they're still it's a different setting than Mario and Sonic. So it, to me, it was different enough where it it offered a different experience to me. You know, the The second one, I remember playing it. I loved it. Played the third one. I liked it quite a bit too. I didn't go back and play the original one until uh, probably even after Crash Team Racing, which is, is saying a lot. Because I, I remember when I first got Crash Bandicoot 1, because PlayStation games used to come in CD cases. And on the... Uh, The left section of the case was this little green strip with red font that said Greatest Hits. So that should tell you how far past its original release date it was that I actually played the original. And the original still has its fun aspects, but to me it's definitely the weakest of the three. And I would even say that in playing through the remastered. And the, the remastered graphics look really, really good. And they even have this cool little animation before you get to the menu screen of the game. Of Like this machine is basically in the middle of a white room and it's got the Nitro boxes and other collectibles known from the Crash franchise. And they all look like their original PlayStation versions. They're really blocky, kind of pixelated a little bit. And then Crash shows up and he throws... A, like a piece of Wumpa fruit and a couple of boxes into the machine and they pop out looking remastered, bright, beautiful, smooth. So then Crash himself jumps in the machine and he pops out and he's remastered. So the the environments look, they look great. All the enemies look great. Uh, the cutscenes have been remastered. The voice acting has been redubbed. Uh, I think they used... Yeah, it says here... uh, Well, I'll I'll read a little bit about the gameplay of it. Uh, Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy is a collection of remasters of the first three games. Uh, The trilogy adds new features across all three games, including unified checkpoints, pause menus, and save systems, which is fantastic, especially for Crash Bandicoot 1. You can pretty much pause and save at any time now, as opposed to having to finish a level. So say, for example, in games 2 and 3... There is a little wall in the warp rooms that you would have to walk up to, and you would save it to your memory card. Uh, I don't remember how the save system worked in the original Crash Bandicoot. Uh, Let's see. It includes both manual and automatic saving, time trials, which were first introduced in Warped, and the ability to play most levels in each game as Crash's sister Coco. Also features remastered audio and cutscenes, including new recordings of the game's dialogue given by the franchise's more recent voice actors. The cutscenes, especially, look so much better than the original versions. And I would even say the same thing about PlayStation to an extent as we've said about the N64 that transition from 2D to 3D. You know, NES graphics still hold up, SNES graphics still hold up. The PlayStation and the N64 are are—they're a little rough to look at. Even Ocarina of Time, which is my favorite game of all time, it's kind of rough to look at. That's why if I ever go through and play it again, I'll play the 3DS version because it just simply looks better. But this was a really fun, fun franchise to go back and revisit. And like I said... Crash never really got quite the credit that Mario and Sonic did. And I remember Crash being somewhat decently popular back in the day. I remember there being commercials for, I think, Crash Bandicoot 2, where this guy was basically dressed in a Crash suit, and he was sitting in someone's house playing a video game or something. I remember there were two or three different commercials with Crash, I think. So his name was out there, but he just never quite got the same love that you know Mario and Sonic and other gaming mascots did. I remember I was even listening to a gaming podcast last week and they mentioned Crash Bandicoot and said that the games weren't that good. Well, I I would disagree with that, you know. They're still fun. The platforming was so huge and you got so many different versions of platformers during the mid to late 90s, you know. And and I I liked most of them that I played just because that's still my favorite gaming genre to this day. I was a huge platforming junkie back in the day. And maybe that's growing up on Mario. I have no idea, but you throw a platformer at me, chances are I'm going to enjoy at least some aspects of it. So overall, I would say I really like the Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy. Some of the reviews in a Metacritic gave the PS4 version an 80 out of 100, the Switch version 78, Xbox One 79, and PC 76. And also, uh, it won the award for Best Remake slash Remaster at IGN's 2017 awards, while the readers and staff of Game Informer voted it as the Best Remastered Action and Best Remastered Remade Game in theirs. And I think it's, it's deservedly so. And I was glad that Activision went back and remastered these games because after, what was the fourth game called? There was the original trilogy, Crash Team Racing, which that has a remake coming out soon that I'm pretty excited about. Uh, A lot of people like Crash Team Racing more than Mario Kart, which is almost blasphemy, but... What can I say a lot of people do? Oh, it was The Wrath of Cortex. The it was basically Crash Bandicoot 4. It was made by Traveler's Tales. And that was where I kind of hopped off the Crash Bandicoot bandwagon. It just felt like the same old thing to me. You know, even Crash Bandicoot warped, it it introduced enough different elements. You know, you had Crash flying the the airplane, you had the um, the motorcycle races. So there was a little bit of a different variety in that that made it fun. But by by the time The Wrath of Cortex came out, I was kind of tired of the same old thing. And other games came out as well that I never played. But I could tell that they were not going to be very good. And I know they gave Crash like a tattoo sleeve, which I thought was really weird. And, And I guess it's like that old TV saying that I felt like Crash had jumped the shark. But when they announced the, the remastered trilogy and showed the trailer for it, I went nuts over it because these games were fun. And I'm still going to keep playing it. I've been doing that over most of the Christmas break ever since I got this game for Christmas. And I'm definitely going to get Crash Team Racing when it comes out. But hopefully it'll lead to making a new Crash Bandicoot game that's a little more traditional. And I, I think it'll be a little different this time around because they can cash in on the nostalgia a little bit because people crash has a pretty decent following and i think that a new crash game could could do decently well especially i think crash team racing the remastered version of that will also tell a lot but overall I'd give this collection, I'd give it a solid 8.5 out of 10. I, I really, really enjoyed it. The graphics are great. I, I like that they implemented the saving system for all three games. That it's It's very universal on what you can do from game 1 to game 3. And I think that's fantastic. So yeah, that's going to wrap up this week's episode of Nerd Cave Retro. Other things that are going on this upcoming week is the official return of my solo show, The Derek Diamond Experience. It's kind of a, what I call a bonus show. This week, I've interviewed a friend of mine named John Waldron, who is the dad of Adam and Ian Waldron from the Unicorn Wranglers, who supply my theme music for the show. Uh, he's actually launching his own podcast. So he came on, we talked about it, why he wants to do his own podcast, so on and so forth. And It was a really fun chat. And that episode is going to be out this upcoming Thursday. And then the following week on January 10th is when I'm going to be unveiling the new format, talking with those who work in film and television, rolling out the new logo, graphics package, things like that. And if you want to follow that, uh, just Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at D Podcast. Some exciting things coming up with the Derek Diamond experience over the next couple of months. But as far as our stuff goes, you can check out our website, nerdcaveretro.com. If you want to email us, email us at nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at nerdcaveretro. You can follow both of us on Twitter at jfunktastic and at Derek underscore diamond. Like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash NerdCaveRetro. We're also on Patreon at Patreon.com slash NerdCaveRetro. And don't forget, leave us a review because it helps us uh, become more visible to the podcasting public, which means more people will listen to the show. So that's going to wrap it up for this week. Uh, Hopefully Jason will be back next week to kick off Metroid Month. And as I always like to say, may the way of the hero to the Triforce.